0: He is Brian Robb from MassLive.com. He is Jay King from The Athletic, live in Memphis. And I am Sam Jam Packard, and together we are Still Potable! That's right, folks. Late night Still Potable coming to you in the early Monday morning, late Sunday evening. This is the free episode of Still Potable. We are a Monday through Friday podcast. If you enjoy what you're listening to, Please subscribe to us on patreon.com slash still You'll get every single podcast uh, Tuesday through Thursday. This is the free episode we release every single Monday and we are coming to you after what was, I think the ugliest Celtics game of the season, one in which they probably had no business winning, one in which had one of the crazier endings I've seen in a recent basketball game. Jay, you were live there in Memphis What the hell happened out
2: there? Madness. Madness. (laughs) The last sequence was just total insanity. The Celtics have the ball with like a one-second differential between the shot clock and the game clock and for some reason decide to go for a dunk. I don't know why. You say the Celtics. You say the Celtics like it was a
0: collective team decision. No, this was Drew Holiday.
2: There were two people. It was Jason Tatum who threw the ball to Drew Holiday. He must have known that Drew Holiday was going to try to put that in the bucket. And then Drew Holiday goes up for a dunk with Jaron Jackson, the defensive player of the year, (laughs) in the vicinity. Ah. Kind of a wild decision. But – and then at the other end, Sansi Aldama gets a very good look. His fifteenth three-point attempt of the night, which is kind of wild. And he misses. <laughs> Zaire Williams gets gets the rebound. Kristaps Porzingis blocks him. And then reacts in such a way that he <laughs> said he thought he should have probably apologized. After like he was worse.
0: insulted that he tried a, a buzzer, a beating shot or a game time shot. That's the way Chris Tapps reacted. Like he was mad that he dared try to shoot that over him. No, you know, I the think, I think
2: From what Chris Tapp said, my take was that he said something about how he got fouled on the play. And Chris Taps is like, man, that was clean in his head. He was thinking, man, that was clean. I got fouled a bunch of times. They called some borderline fouls on me. Why are you complaining? And so he said something to Zaire Williams and looked at him all angry. And it was good, good times. But the rest of the game, not such good times. It was ugly.
0: B Rob, I mean, the Celtics uh, lost the turnover battle by five. Lost the offensive rebound battle by five uh lost the kind of three-point attempts by five this is not a game uh in which the math was working for them and they somehow managed to pull it out what what was your reaction to this kind of I would say nonsense basketball game
1: yeah it was a it was just a wild game from because we haven't seen like a helter-skelter game like this I think all year long from this team and it was no more than to me, just you know, over the course of the game, and even post game, like Joe Mazula, in his post game press conference to you guys on there in memphis State, like saying, like, yeah, we were like out work, you know, effort wasn't there as much as we'd wanted, and he was kind of, for him, that was pretty much as you know blunt as he'll get about his players on that front, I think. And then on top of that, he straight up pulled Tatum and Jalen Brown from the game. With seven minutes left in the third quarter, together and sat him out seven straight minutes together with Drew Holiday there, which I think I don't know. if Like, has he ever done that before, guys? In a, a close game, I feel like was that, that an really?
0: official
2: benching? Was that like I a I don't like I an don't effort know. to start the third quarter? I don't know. So he he basically said his explanation on it was that they weren't playing very well. He wanted Correct. to. He <laughs> he, has, he said he's he's wanted to try to get a different identity going. Um. And it was the first leg of a back-to-back, so he wanted to limit their minutes too. So I don't know if it was a pure benching or just like these guys aren't playing that well or better off not playing them 40 minutes no matter what. Let's just try something else, see what happens. He kind of threw some darts. He threw Lamar Stevens in there. He threw Nemius Keta in there. It was kind of a a weird rotation game for the Celtics, not their, their usual gang. It was Keta's first minutes. For Boston. Lamar hasn't been in the rotation really at all. So I, I I don't think Missoula was happy with the team, though. If he'd been happy, he probably would have kept those guys in or put them back in quicker. Um, it was he was not thrilled with the execution. And especially I think he was mad that they forced some things at the rim. They only took 31 three-pointers, which is super low for them. And the Grizzlies have been allowing A ton of three-pointers so that was kind of a sign of just how poorly the Celtics attacked that defense at times
0: it felt like the Grizzlies were doing or taking more of a concerted effort to try and close out on threes but you still think with the starting lineup the Grizzlies ran out there with like seemingly four centers uh that the Celtics would be able to kind of get the shots that they wanted but They really dominated points in the paint, especially early on in this game. I think in the first quarter, they had 18 of their 26 points or points in the paint, then 33 points in the paint at halftime. But the the disparity in threes is just kind of wild, where the Celtics shot 31 threes. So basically... San- Santi Aldama took half as much as the Celtics took for the entire game. Grizzly shot 44. And the Grizzlies shot 95 shots in this game and only scored 100 points. I don't think the Celtics defense was amazing. There were certainly uh, plenty of opportunities for Aldama to take that many open shots. Uh, Desmond Bain scored 30 points, and it felt like he was really getting a lot of space, especially kind of attacking the Celtics in pick and roll when I thought uh, when Chris Tapps was in the game. But luckily for the Celtics, the Grizzlies don't have many other guys who can put the biscuit in the basket, uh, because other than Aldama, Jackson, and Bain, no one really else on the Grizzlies scored any points. And uh, I guess, B. Rob, what do you think of their defensive effort? Uh, and why was it? I don't want to say poor because they did hold the Grizzlies to, to like, like I said, 100 points on 95 shots. Like that seems a pretty uh, a wild, and just
2: 38.9% shooting.
0: Like so, it's like relatively good statistics efficiently, but didn't feel like there was like a high intensity effort there, and it did feel like Bain could could generate a lot of looks when he wanted to.
1: Yeah, I mean, he definitely had his way for much of the night, no matter who was guarding him. Uh, I think the off like the Grizz crushed the Celtics a lot in the offensive glass tonight, and I think honestly, when they did score a lot of the time, like it came off a bad Celtics offense where it'd be one on three. Or just you know a poor rim reader, just a poor passing decision, and that was the stuff that got Celtics into trouble. I think by and large they played pretty well in the half court um, when they were engaged, um, but when they were beaten in transition or just like you know gave up easy runouts, that's where they ran into trouble there. So uh, it's it's a situation where I think when you look after this game, what like where the issues were in this game in terms of the lackluster. Performance from a Celtic standard this year. I think it's you look at the offensive end more so than you know what was going on defensively there.
2: Tatum didn't take a three until the second half. Yeah, and only took one the whole game. That was just.
0: But bizarre. he made it. But he made it, <laughs> and a it was a, it was a
2: pretty big one too. Yeah. Um, and then I thought Porzingis was just really helpful to have him against switches. Is just such a nice. Luxury for the Celtics to have it's so different than it was last year when they could really stagnate against switching and not that their offense was good tonight, but I thought he saved them from even worse offense. There was one play Desmond Bain was on him and he just like took his time bodied up and shot over the top of Desmond Bain's head just didn't even try to do anything else just like got strong created not even really any space just decided I'm a foot taller than this dude this really muscular dude let me just shoot it over his head and did it um i feel like they got
0: away from him in the second half though like he did a lot of his damage in the first quarter and then i thought the the team's offense just was not that efficient and it felt like especially with they're running kenny lofton jr out there they're like aldama was playing center don't you
2: dare be smirched. Kenneth Lofton. Jr. I did not besmirch him at all. Yes, I could have said They're running Kenny Lofton out there. He's he shorter than
0: Chris Porzingis. Is, is, he, is he
2: not? Basically, a big, everyone is shorter than Chris Porzingis. Oh, so maybe
0: they fair. should use Chris Porzingis in the second half and uh, use that size advantage, something I don't think they did, uh, especially when Biombo and uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. were in foul trouble. I don't think they like kind of went to Chris Tapps as well as they did uh kind of late in that game against the Raptors it just didn't feel like uh it felt like there was something that was a point of emphasis for them early and Chris had a huge first quarter I think 16 of his 26 points were in that first half I don't think they went to him as well or as efficiently uh in that second half where he scored 10 points but six of those points were from deep like going to the Chris on the inside it didn't seem like it was something they really did um with ease in the second half he had a lot of blocks (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's the other end of the court, Jay But thank you
2: <laughs> He had a lot of blocks And I mean, that was one of the reasons They were able to hold the Grizzlies to 38.9% shooting Is Kristaps just erased a lot of opportunities We talk about the Celtics rim reads But I thought Memphis's were pretty bad too And that's a super depleted Memphis team They're down like, so many guys, good players Yeah, like Eight guys <laughs> Eight guys, baby yeah, like five of their seven best players, including John ja Morant, Marcus Smart, Stephen Adams, Brandon Clark, Luke Kennard, like Luke Kennard. That is just a team that that is just bare bones right now, and they're playing on the second leg of a back to back. So to be out hustled by that team is pretty disappointing, and I think that's one of the reasons why Joe Mazzulla was a lot more upset about tonight's win than he was about the win against the Raptors against the Raptors he thought you know they didn't have their best game execution wise but they were playing hard they executed down the stretch tonight I felt like he thought there weren't many redeeming qualities to this win at all and
0: except for the win part the win part was pretty redeeming
2: yeah but I don't think he's really concerned with with that. I mean, obviously he'd you'd rather come away with a win and move to eleven and two and have the NBA's best record and all that. They're on a six-game winning streak. So to be a little negative about their play right now just goes to show how high they can get to when when they're at their best. But the last two games they really haven't played well. And I just thought like they almost gave that game away at the end and it just was a sign of the lack of discipline they had throughout the night. How can you, as Drew Holiday, decide to go for a dunk and not absolutely have 100% certainty that you're going to make the dunk? As soon as you see Jared Jackson come over, you have to decide, all right, let me dribble this thing out. I'm going to go get fouled. What, cannot it, what, what is Drew
0: Holiday's most famous play as a Milwaukee Buck?
2: The alley to Giannis
0: in the exact same situation where he should have dribbled it out and should have gone. Taken he has, out. he
2: has moments of insanity from time to time. It and was a,
0: it was an homage to Marcus smart sitting on the bench where he took a crazy three, uh, out of nowhere, knocked it down, took another crazy three. did not make it. I think he missed the layup, uh, got some a great offensive rebound to get like, he did all the kind of crazy Marcus smart things, but that what decision at the end had to have been the craziest
2: um, <laughs> Joe Mazzoula, like, it's a new thing for Joe to sort of throw guys under the bus. Um, and not that he really threw Drew under the bus, but he did say, if you're going to take that, you have to make it. And if you aren't going to make it, you just have to get fouled and make the free throws and move on. So he, he, was, he was mad about that decision. Um, what
0: would you think about the Tatum shot before that? Because... I really liked the possession. I think, I guess one before that post Tatum up post shot. and he turned the corner and they sent multiple guys and he found Chris taps for the dunk. And it felt like they went back to that again, but then Tatum kind of took that fade away. And it just like, it didn't seem like the most like, it kind of felt like late in the shot clock. It took him a while to get to it. I actually think drew was kind of trying to screen for him and Tatum was telling him to get away. Um, but I wasn't the biggest fan of that as like kind of late offense. Um, but it made sense just because it worked so well on the, on the possession before.
2: Yeah, I just don't know why. I think Desmond Bain was guarding him on that play. And, and Bain is like, obviously, he's several inches shorter than Jason Tatum and has some doesn't have the longest wingspan in the league.
0: Negative wingspan, some would but, say.
2: But I feel like there are just other areas you can attack and just be smarter about trying to get a better shot in that situation. So I, I, I didn't love that. He, he faded away. He didn't give himself a chance to get fouled. Um, didn't give himself a chance to draw help and find somebody open. I just thought th- it wasn't the worst shot in the world, but he could have gotten a better one.
0: B Rob, what'd you think of Jason Tatum having four offensive fouls and a total of eight turnovers in this game? Uh, just the fouls in general. It was a very disjointed basketball game where it seemed like there was no rhythm, no
1: flow. Everybody was mad. Every, every, seriously. Like, I don't think I've seen, like, both sides, like, the amount of offensive fouls across the whole team for this game. I think there was, like, eight offensive fouls on the Celtics, period. Um, but, yeah, there, there was no rhythm, no flow. from except that. For Hauser. Except for, yeah, except for <laughs> Sam Hauser just burying threes left and right throughout the first half but everything else was clunky um even guys like Derek White I feel like we're making poor decisions that were leading off he made multiple bad decisions at the rim he decided to go up with things on multiple fast
0: breaks it was just like it's I'm calling Derek White's number and it resulted in I think multiple jump balls or blocks it was not a good Derek White game
1: it really wasn't and that's it's just such a rarity this year that all this kind of lined up like this where almost everyone outside of Faye Hauser and Porzingis had a rough game offensively and it still was enough. You know, this is a game I feel like last year, they probably lose um, in terms of getting away from them. Um, They had, I mean, they were lucky or things facing such a depleted Memphis team. And even with, you know, Bain and having a great night that it's still, they didn't have enough left to get over the hump offensively and take advantage of their opportunities. But um, yeah, this was getting into some old habits. And I think we saw like a lot of this in the second half of last year when they were just, you know, kind of going through the motions
2: at times and it, it led them into, into trouble. Yeah. I mean, they've won six straight, but you do want to see them stop this stretch where they're not playing their best basketball and come out of it. And they really didn't play well against Toronto. I mean, they executed down the stretch of that game, but, first quarter they gave up a ton of layups third quarter Pascal Siakam just totally mutilated them and they were able to execute the, their way out of it against Memphis like that's a totally depleted team with basically no offensive options well
0: well like let's not talk about Santi Aldama like that if he hits that shot we're talking about this as the Santi Aldama game like he could Okay been they
2: a hero. they started essentially Three big men with Aldama, Jaron Jackson, and Yamo. Yamo. And that's a group that the Celtics should just run off the court. They should get forced turnover after turnover. They only forced 11 turnovers against a team that didn't have a point guard on the floor at all, except Jacob Gilliard played 15 minutes. And he's...
0: Uh, you mean you mean the NCAA leader in the steel all-time steals, Jacob Gilliard?
1: That, he had a crazy steal on Tatum. He did in the corner there. That was nuts.
2: Tatum had eight turnovers. Yeah,
0: That's four of them were charges. One of them was a charge that was our offensive foul called on a pass, which legitimately, I think it definitely was a foul. Like he launched into uh, the defender and then realized it. he didn't have, get, draw the foul and then threw a pass. but yeah, it was a bad Tatum game
2: that's two in a row for him in toronto he was just like not at all himself i thought he was actually a little bit better today despite the turnovers i didn't think it was like a a total zero game from him but only 13 field goal attempts and memphis was kind of playing him to to be that way we can't like fault the celtics for not passing from the rim and then be like, well, Tatum should have shot more than 13 times. <laughs> it's like, you can't have it both ways. Um, and there was one play, especially at Marcus Marty was funny on the sideline. He was kind of yelling at the Grizzlies for the way they defended, but Tatum got to the rim. I think Jaron Jackson helped out and Tatum threw it to Brown on the the wing and Brown just missed it. So I thought Tatum could have had a number of more assists than he did, but it, it's still I mean that's that's two games in a row where he hasn't been able to to totally leave his imprint on the game it was just a just a really bad effort Jalen did play though um which is which was good after the the in season tournament court got the best of him in Toronto <laughs> were, were you guys surprised that he played would you guys have preferred that he s- sat some time after dealing with some discomfort yeah i'm pretty shocked
1: i mean especially with the back-to-back coming up um i guess charlotte i mean he could rest tomorrow night regardless so um i guess we'll see how that plays out but given how much he kind of played it up after the game um obviously it's obviously great news for him that he was fine and good to go um but given the opponent and the schedule i am little surprised that they didn't Play cautiously, but that's listen. Jalen likes to play when he's ready, and that's um, he was clearly good to go.
0: Yeah, he was he was upset about the court. It didn't, I don't like, I don't know. I, I haven't inspected the man's groin, I don't know what's going <laughs> on there. Uh, I imagine if he's good to go, he's ready to go, but I'd also wouldn't be shocked to see him rest against the Hornets. I think it's tough for them to be on a back to back, but you know, nice for them to be going up against the Charlotte Hornets. Who, uh, presumably will be one of the worst teams in the league this year. Jalen seemed kind of frustrated tonight where I thought he got fouled on multiple times, got a tech, uh, from just arguing. It seemed like the, the whole third quarter just was bad from everyone's perspective and no one was able to really get in a, a rhythm there. Um, but I don't know. No one really, other than Hauser, I don't think no one had a great performance here for the Celtics. Um, we did see Keta. It's the first time of Keta. Five minutes of Keta. Jay was he as lumbering in person as he was on television?
2: I don't know if "lumbering" is the right word, but I would say that he didn't seem uh... good. Cornet taking first chance. You could you could use that word. <laughs> no, in in the preseason, he seemed sure of himself. He seemed confident tonight and there was one play and in Memphis we're like it's one of the few places where we still sit courtside and oh yeah I saw you and
0: Himmelsbacher on the old broadcast there
2: that's that's a beautiful thing but one of the the cool things is you can pick up on a a little more of the game than you usually do and so there was one play when Joe was calling a play from the sideline and everyone else just kind of like understood what, what to do. Keta was just looking at him, like running, (laughs) running down the whole court, just looking at him. And I think he was kind of like, uh, I'm not sure what's going on right now. I don't know what play I'm supposed to be running. And so I, 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 it felt like it was just some first game jitters for Keta. And, and he wasn't as, as sure of himself as he probably will be in the future. But I mean, it was an opportunity for him and he did not seize it. But, but he'll get more opportunities. I think this season it was a uh, it was interesting though that that they went with Ketta instead of Cornette. Um, Do you think they're
0: saving Cornette for tomorrow against Charlotte, knowing Horford's not going to play likely? Uh,
2: do you need to save Luke Cornett? Do you need to give the five minutes to ketta that could have been Luke Cornett? I don't think. A simple no would have
0: sufficed, Jay.
2: That probably <laughs> entered their minds. Um, I'll be interested to see. And I don't think Horford will play because he hasn't played in back-to-backs, but he only played 22 minutes. If ever there were a time to play him on the second leg of a back-to-back, it would probably be after a, a light minutes load like that, even though it's Charlotte. And they don't necessarily need all of their big dogs in that one. Although maybe they do. They almost lost to the Grizzlies with basically nobody. Yeah, I mean the way the
1: Hornets get up and down, I would think that you know you don't want to put Al through that in the second half of back to back. But you're like, he's the minutes load have been so low for him this year that you 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 do start to think about in these games where they do have back to backs. Like, okay, what number do you keep him down to on the first night? Do you feel good about playing him on that second night? And that's. That's a decision they couldn't really have last year because they needed him to play 30 minutes in all those games and they were kind of playing him crazy numbers minutes-wise all night, but um, obviously tonight less so. And then, I don't know, I feel like this year too with, like, we took a kid like Lamar Stevens, I feel like Joe's also just throwing darts more this year. And I kind of like that part of it. Like, I've been a night like this where nothing's going on, like, nothing seems to be working, the starters are... Seem like they're in the mud. It's like, all right, yeah, let's let's try Lamar Stevens here. Let's try fourth
2: quarter Lamar Stevens. Yeah,
1: right, no. exactly. It's just like, and then he proceeded to like, I feel like, mess up a transition defense sequence of Holiday, and left you know a guy wide open to go to the rim. So he didn't necessarily help himself either. But they got these guys on the bench. You might as you know, maybe we'll see O'Shea Brissett tomorrow night. I feel like,
0: yeah, what happened to O'Shea Brissett? Is he just falling out of favor entirely? I feel like we haven't seen him in two weeks now.
2: He played. uh the game before the Raptors game who did they play there the first game of the road uh, trip Philadelphia yeah and and he played okay right. uh, he didn't shoot the ball well he airmailed one from the corner but it's it's a thing where like I don't think beyond Hauser Horford and Pritchard they just don't really know what to do <laughs> and I think Cornette will probably be the answer at the next center spot most of the time but between Stevens, Banton, Brissett, Luke, there's just no separation. And they just are going to use one or the other. And I don't know if there's a rhyme or reason to it. Will be a rhyme or reason to it. It's just like whoever's night it is.
1: Yeah. it's. I wonder that how much they're going to, you know, as we get into trade season in a couple months there, if they like are going to be, if one of those guys will emerge and like kind of take, a spot consistently as that ninth or 10th guy at nights like this, or if they're going to be kind of scouring the market for a guy like that, whether it's trade or bad or whatever down the line to give them that, you know, better consistency. Cause like I said, there's just, you don't know what you're getting out of those guys right now. And that's, and that's fine. Most nights, but, um, ideally to take the minute zone off. You want at least someone a little more, you can trust in those spots.
0: Jay, this was supposed to be the, the grand Marcus smart reunion game. He's obviously, did not play. He has an ankle injury. He's going to be out for three to five weeks. But I assuming you got to talk to no. him pregame. You did
2: not at all. No, he was not in the locker room pregame. PR informed us that he Grizzlies PR informed us that he was not going to be available after the game. So do you? We feel did not catch up with Marcus Smart for going to Memphis. I don't feel dumb for going to Memphis. (laughs) This is my job. (laughs) So so I I was here in Memphis. One thing that I did learn, and it's in my story on The Athletic tonight, that I don't know if it's published right now, but will be soon. Um, Marcus Smart considers himself the best Jenga player ever. And Derek White was telling me about an incredible Jenga sequence where they were down to like basically the end where where things start to get real dicey where the the tower starts to get real wobbly and there was a piece that was just stuck and he said it was him and Malcolm Brogdon I don't know who else was playing but they were everyone was hesitant like no one wanted to touch the block no one wanted to pull it no one wanted to twist it because they thought that whole thing was going down and he said Marcus Smart walked over And just smacked it and just smacked the one piece and (laughs) the one piece fell out. The rest of the tower stood and Derek White was like, oh, my God, (laughs) like that that was incredible. (laughs) (laughs) And and so it sounds like a stupid story, but White said that Marcus thought he was the best at everything. And he actually and that White actually took some of that mindset from him and that it can be really helpful at times. So, Irrational
0: confidence is very important. I think that's one of the things that Marcus Smart brought to the table, uh, just his willingness to try things. And sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes I think Drew Holiday has a similar uh, kind of mindset. We, talked we honored about, him tonight. If that yeah. yeah. But, well, I, one thing I forgot to mention, the, it was like the – he threw probably the hardest pass as a role man to Chris Tapp's Porzingis, just like whipped one at him. one
2: Porzingis like threw his left hand up there and grabbed yeah. it. Yeah
0: had to tap it in just true holiday and a true homage to Marcus Smart was completely freelancing out there but I do love the idea that Marcus Smart is I believe it is the best Jenga player in the world right now before we get into the junk the useless observations we're going to kick it to our friends at FanDuel for this message
1: All right, let's take a break here to hear from our sponsor, FanDuel. Score early this NFL season of FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options. You can do spreads, player props, over-unders, and much more. So visit FanDuel.com. Slash Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. Massachusetts 21 and present. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanDuel.com, gambling helpline ma.org, or call 1 800 327 5050 for 24 7 support. Played Smart from the Start, GameSensema.com or call one 800 gam 1234. And now back to the show. And well, we're back. Um, gonna dive into
0: the the junk drawer. This is the portion of the podcast. We do this all po- every post-game podcast where normally I come with the uh, useless observations. I've been trying to encourage serious journalists Brian B. Rob Rob and Jay El Nino King to come up with their own useless observations. We call it junk. Uh, The first thing I am going to say is that there's way too many challenges and burning your challenge with eight minutes left in the game is stupid. And I just don't think you should be able to use a challenge in the first half. It doesn't make any sense. It's dumb.
1: Yeah, that was probably one of the worst. I mean, as far as degree of like one of the worst challenges I've seen by this, by the Celtics to do it, especially when it ended up being a close game. To use, they must have really thought they obviously had that play to make that challenge that early. But when you lose it f- four minutes into the game on just not even a point type decision, just on an out of bounds type stuff, that was that was pretty wild. And luckily, they obviously didn't need a lead. No play in the first half of any basketball game is important enough that it
0: needs to be challenged. One of the beauties of basketball is this a game of runs. Things will come back. The game does not need to be sl- stopped and slowed down and reviewed at any point. I would even say in the first three quarters. I would say in the first 43 minutes of the game. I don't think challenges should exist until the final five minutes of the game, until it's officially clutch time.
2: There was a heckler in Memphis yelling at Joe Missoula for the challenge. And then when the Grizzlies challenged, the heckler stood up and shouted at him, that's how you should use a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) That's good stuff. Joe Um, had no response, nor did he probably
0: even notice. I like I like that kind of uh insight you can provide us when you sit so close. Uh Drew Carter said this on the broadcast, but the players can call the 221 press whenever they want. That was news to me.
2: Yeah, they he Joe gives them a lot of freedom. Joe gives the players a lot of freedom to basically change things on the fly, adjust on the fly. He's turned Drew Holiday and Drew Holiday has said it's like the first time in his career he's ever had as much responsibility basically as a, a signal caller of sorts for the defense. Um, and and he just kind of constantly communicates with Joe what they can do, what what the options are. And so that that's always been Joe's philosophy, is like empower the players as much as possible. He thinks that if he does that, they'll be more invested in the success just because they're the ones choosing if you're the one choosing the defensive strategy like it better work and you better do it right and if you don't then it's on you and entirely on you so i think that's just one of the ways that that joe is a little different from some coaches like he's he's very into giving the players some control over what goes on
0: I'm gonna say I'm a huge respecter of Santi Aldama's just willingness to throw ridiculous passes. Even he uh, had a number of behind the back passes that worked earlier in the game. Was slinging some dimes and then even tried to do it uh, in a tie game late. So shouts to Santi Aldama, uh, attractive gentleman playing good basketball. Um, he's a fun
2: player. He's like <laughs> he's like one of those like inflatable balloons people that just like like all arms and legs just floating out there, shooting threes, throwing dimes. He's got a lot of skill for someone that's tall.
0: I did not expect the inflatable balloon comparison, but it, it seems to, I that
2: just, it just <laughs> <came> to me. I didn't either. I've never thought of that when watching Sansi Aldamo play basketball.
0: Okay, but, now is where I de- besmirch Kenny uh, Lofton Jr. and say oh, that goodness. him dunking is fun because he's fat. Like, that's just a good old-fashioned fun to watch you in mean, a basketball game.
1: you have to game. body shame him? I I thought he looked nice and trim tonight compared to
2: earlier. I don't know.
0: And the the dunks were more fun because of his girth.
2: I can't disagree. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I love Kenny Lofton, man. That dude has a lot of game. I don't know if he'll ever become a legitimate NBA player, but he has a lot of game. And I think if he touched the ball a lot, he would score and put up buckets against any competition in the world. It might not help his team, But, and he'd be giving up points at the other end for sure. But. Do you think he'll have a
0: more significant moment in the NBA than his like previous moments playing Wembenyama and dominating him in international basketball?
2: It's going to be hard to top dominating Wembenyama. Especially like when Wembenyama is going to the Hall of Fame. and Kenny Lofton is, I don't know, wrapping up like a, six or seven year career that doesn't really amount to much uh, he's gonna look back at that time and be like yeah you know what that dude could never handle me he's (laughs) he's forever but he could never handle me so you think
0: after six or seven years victor Weminyama will be entering the hall of fame the timeline
2: doesn't make sense jay the timeline was a little off (laughs) all right <laughs> when maybe when when Kenny Lofton is looking back at his six or seven year that's of of that's better framing. Um
0: there are some people in the front row wearing paper hats and they look like hot dog salesmen. there's nothing, don't respond to that, just an observation I had. Um there was also an Amazon ad of these old ladies who are uh buy a bunch of sleds and then go down the hill, like sled down the hill. Um and it's just dangerous. Those old ladies are gonna break a hip. They're not, it makes no sense for those old ladies to try and live out yesteryear by sledding down a hill when they're 95 years old. They're brittle bones. It's just a nonsense ad. It makes me want to use that product less.
2: Um, I have no response. <laughs> that's
0: fair. Uh, there was a portion of the game, or it was just a total, uh dunk fest. We had the nice. Jalen Brown and Kristaps Porzingis, apparently they're great friends. They're becoming best friends, but they really have developed a chemistry on the court. And uh they've kind of adopted like, realized that Chris Tapp's Porzingis is huge and will throw him outrageous lobs. And so there's a fun stretch where he caught that lob from Jalen Brown and then Jason Tatum dunked
2: right on Bismack Biombo. Um that was a crazy dunk. I was not expecting that that dunk. I didn't think he was gonna go up for that. And he and, did. And he did. And it rocked out loud. Um, and that's all I got for my
0: uh, observations. Once the game got close, in the end, my my kind of pension for nonsense uh, diminished. Other than Drew Carter has turned into a solid homer after like five or six games, complaining about foul calls, complaining about the other t- like uh, Triple J, complaining about his foul calls. He knows he knows what broadcast he's on. I think he's doing a solid job. Uh, you know filling in in that Tommy Heinsohn traditional homer role. So Charger, he
2: was Drew he Carter. was playing through difficulties tonight too. Oh, you could hear it on the broadcast. I was just saying no the the I'm not sure there were any power outlets available and his phone was running out of juice and I think he's oh. got note, notes on his phone yeah. and he had to to rush and plug it into his computer. So he he was multitasking to bring the people the stats and the facts tonight. And I hope people appreciate that. I'm, he was I, playing through the elements.
0: I like that inside information, Jay. Any other
2: observations from down there in Memphis? My The highlight of my road trip so far was talking to Peyton Pritchard about being called a crypto scammer <laughs> by Drake. <laughs> there, was, there was no better question. And he responded in exactly the way that I thought he would respond because most players, if you ask them about like a joke Drake made about them, they'd be like, yeah, that was super funny. Like, like I really thought that was hilarious. Or wild that Drake knows who I am and is shouting me out on a broadcast. Pritchard was kind of like, I don't know what a crypto scammer is, man. What what do you think a crypto scammer is, man? He's like, just means I'm an average looking white guy, I think. And so it was like, And he wasn't mad about it. It was just like, but he has a chip on his shoulder. He has an edge and that wasn't going to change just because Drake called him a, a crypto scammer. And he, he's a fan of Drake's. He didn't want to cause any beef, but also he was kind of like, I don't know what crypto scammer means, man. Probably just means I'm a white guy. <laughs> See,
0: that's where he's wrong. He does look like a crypto scammer and it's not just because he's an average looking white guy. I think it's because of the haircut and he kind of looks like Spike from a uh, toy story. Um, but I would agree with Drake's assessment that he does look like a crypto scammer.
2: Please. I have no response, but... Uh, <laughs> you're just I'm an average-looking average white guy. I'm with Peyton Pritchard. We are, know, average don't looking don't we are three average-looking white guys. We
0: are like. three average-looking white guys, and none of us look like crypto scammers. Only Peyton Pritchard does. But so that, do, do
2: with that, that what you will. That was probably my second favorite question I've ever asked, which was, do you think? do you think you look like a crypto scammer? <laughs> <laughs> and the first one was to Marcus Smart, are you about that life? After Jimmy Butler said he was not. So
1: did you lead one. off the interview with that, Jay to Peyton? Or was there was there a warm up or did
2: you guys just go right to cut to the chase? Himmelsbach and I were were talking yesterday. Um, we were like, We kinda wanna know about the crypto scammer stuff. <laughs> and so at shoot around, we both kind of looked at each other and we were like, It's time. Let let's go chat with Pritchard about the crypto scammer and uh, highlight of my trip. I didn't write about it, I didn't even tweet about it, but it was a fantastic moment. Yeah, I you just needed you to know let he the
0: exclusive the on that. You just let the, you had a personal moment for yourself, but you let him it, it,
2: it was all it was only about the experience. That, <laughs> that's all I needed. I, it was not about the work. I just needed to know personally what Peyton Pressure thought about getting called <laughs> a crypto scammer on an NBA broadcast. Is Memphis, just going for more junk
1: here for you, being in front of you, think Memphis is the best seat in the league right now for media? Like, do you get the most out of that? So I feel like what's like only a few spots left you actually get, like, that close to the court.
2: Yeah, I don't know how many spots. Like, it used to be the Spurs had it. It used to be the Thunder had it. I don't Dallas. Know if, I don't know if Dallas Phoenix has still it. has it. Dallas, I believe, still does.
0: Orlando lets you sit baseline, course. Yeah, Orlando is baseline. Yeah.
2: Lakers are baseline. Clippers, I believe, are baseline as well. Yeah, same um, building, yeah. But it, it's one of the few places in the league where you can sit close enough to the bench where you can hear some of the things that Joe Mazzulla is saying. And to me, like that, just adds to the the experience. It adds to the details when they got beat to two offensive rebounds in a row in that one stretch. I think it was in the third quarter. Missoula called timeout and just was fuming (laughs) he said something like I if I remember it correctly it was we just got beat to two motherfucking loose balls (laughs) and so stuff like that you don't get otherwise and and it just adds color to to the experience it adds to kind of what you're able to understand I guess
0: Here's a random question. I was talking with Corrales and Sawichi with last home game. If I won the lottery, would the Celtics let me buy season tickets at the the seat directly next to basically where Jason Tatum sits on the bench and just live tweet the whole game? Do you think they would allow me to do that if I had the money?
2: I'm sure there's a number on it.
0: Cause I would i like there's nothing to stop me from tweeting out everything every piece of shit talking the players say, everything Joe Missoula says. I don't think I would you know out of loyalty to the team, but like if I had all the money in the world, I'd want to be right there and so I could be as close as the game as possible.
2: you probably wouldn't hear like too much stuff like it'd be it'd be a great experience, you'd be able to hear some trash talk, you'd be able to hear some strategic talk, but I don't think it would be like. Something where the Celtics would get mad at you about sharing a lot of this stuff. I just, there probably aren't as many moments as you think where like guys just crossed the line.
0: I guess there's only one way to find out. I need to become exceedingly wealthy.
2: Yeah, it's time for you to become a rich, <laughs> rich lawyer.
0: Not the type of law I want to get into, but I could sell out and pivot. Who knows? Who knows if I get a job or not? Uh, B Rob, any other junk? Jay, any other junk before we. Uh, wrap this thing up
1: i got nothing i'll defer to the front row man
0: have you had any barbecue in memphis have you listened to any uh
2: three six mafia while there i went to a new orleans style cuisine restaurant you get a po' boy i got (laughs) blue crab ravioli and it was delicious
0: Okay, that's where we're going to wrap it up,
2: folks. (laughs) Thank you, guys, everyone who's been here. You can't appreciate good seafood? You can't appreciate seafood pasta?
0: Yeah, when I think of good seafood, I think of middle of the country, Memphis. Memphis, the king of seafood. No, all
2: right. It was delicious.
0: (laughs) For J. King in Memphis, for B-Rob from MassLive.com. That's going to do it for us folks here on Still Potable. If you won't like what you hear, please subscribe, go to patreon.com slash We'll have four more episodes for the rest of the week. We'll be with you after the Charlotte Hornets game. We'll be with you after the Milwaukee Bucks game, and we'll preview the in-season tournament game, like a 3.30 tip-off against the Orlando Magic. Who knows? we we'll might even be after that one. We're doing bonus content. Jay put out a great video breakdown after the Raptors game on Friday night. Uh, we're putting out a lot of content on the patreon so subscribe today patreon.com uh, slash still potable and shouts to uh Amit for producing this podcast running the ads for us here on clns and thank you guys for listening we'll be back tomorrow this is still potable oh i
1: gotta do the Christaps point and wink